One of the points of feedback that we receive on a regular basis of kind of positive feedback and positive reinforcement from people is uh, we, we hear often people would say, you know what, it feels safe here. And that's something that certainly we strive for. We maybe are not going to fire 100% all the time on those things, but it's, it's uh, something that even people who are here maybe for the first time or, or are new or a part of our community that they identify. And it's really great that it's something that we experience and it's by design, and it's not just because it, uh, it exists as a value on paper somewhere, but it's something that I think is part of our culture, and that's an important thing. In fact, the first value that we list on our website uh, reads, we're a safe place community. This is one of our highest values, and it informs much of who we are and how we do things. We recognize many people have been wounded by the church and are cynical towards authoritative, top-down expressions of leadership. We're serious about being a manipulation-free community that is built on mutual respect. And this is part of who we are. It's one of the, 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 it's the forerunners of, of becoming the community that we feel God is calling us to be. And what does that mean to have a value of safety? And I want to just even say right from the very beginning that safety is not the absence of risk or faith. We want to be a community that takes risks. We want to be a community that has faith. We want to, have, we want to be alive. We want to see God do great things and move forward. And, 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 and being a safe place doesn't mean we're, we're going to take the safe route. doesn't mean we're going to like not uh, you know, believe God for more or we're, we're going to kind of be passive. We're not, we don't want to be an impotent church. We want to be a church that's alive and full of God and his presence and his spirit. And, and so a safe place, we talk about being a safe place, we're not talking about, about that. We're talking more about um, uh, being, a, being a place and understanding where we trust the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting in people's lives, and we don't put the pressure on us. And sometimes in churches, uh, leaders and programs, and we kind of try to maybe run ahead of the Holy Spirit, or we try to be the Holy Spirit and do the work in people's lives. And that comes across sometimes as manipulative and pressure-based. And that's not what we want to be. And so we want to have a high understanding of the Holy Spirit is living and active in people's lives. And so it's okay to come and just be at different places in your story, different, everybody's in a process. Everybody's coming at different levels and different experiences and different understanding. Um, not everybody who comes is going to jump right in and want to become a volunteer. And it's okay to just come at the level and the space that you need and you deserve. And that's, that's good. We, we, we realize that Jesus is at work in your life. The Holy Spirit's active in your life. And it's not all about the things that we're gonna, we're gonna try to make you do or force you to do. And so there's a high value for that in safety. That's part of what it means to, to be a safe place. Uh, a few years ago, one of our dedicated uh, prayer team volunteers, who we really loved, is a wonderful part of our church community, and actually was very, had a real, uh, real heart and was full of faith and full of boldness to see Jesus work in miracles and signs and wonders and to see, uh, to see gifts of healing happen and things like that. And, and over, the, over the number of years, we've had some really great answers to prayer and seeing God do some real miracles and breakthroughs in people's lives and finances, relationships, physical healing. And we've had some really great stories and good moments where God has really ministered to people. And, um, and his heart was really that we would just see more and more of this and step into this. And um, over time, we had heard some concerns that there were some people that uh, were feeling uncomfortable as they were getting prayed for. And we found out that if someone came forward to receive prayer for healing, 
that uh, the individual would, you know, if, they, if, if something didn't happen immediately, like if there wasn't a, a bone crack and something shift and a, uh, a, like a, a warm blast of air and, 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 and a miraculous healing right there in the moment that, that he would admonish that person to have more faith and get their heart right with Jesus and, you know, that kind of, and then pray again, pray again, and then how is it now? Nothing, okay, let's just do, God, believe more. And, and, and it just kind of added more and more and more pressure. And what happened is some of the people who are coming to be prayed for takes a great amount of courage. Some of them are just taking baby steps in their faith. And, um, and it ended up being that it became more of a negative experience for them to come forward for prayer than it was a positive one. And that really is not what we're trying to do. And so we discovered that if we say we want to be a safe place on the website, and the guy up front says we want to be a safe place, that we have to try to be a safe place everywhere. And we have to do, we have to do better in all those different areas. And that gets hard, because there's more and more people involved, and uh, everybody has different ideas of what that means and what that looks like. And so we, we had to have a tough conversation. And uh, our counsel to him was, thank you for being a person of faith in our community. Continue to pray for the sick and believe in Jesus for healing. But when you do it, do it in a way that honors our value and culture of being a safe place and is not intimidating to people. And um, not bringing pressure to people. And in the end, uh, that person felt that we were limiting the Holy Spirit and putting the Holy Spirit in a box and not making room for the Spirit of God and kind of dictating to God the way things would be. And, uh, and, and he, he left the church. And that hurts. Let me tell you, as a pastor, when people leave the church, it hurts. It always does. And uh, we couldn't win that one. And having a value of safety, it, it, there's a cost involved. Because sometimes we have to make some tough decisions. We have to have some hard conversations. But if you're a part of us, and you're a part of this church, it's just something that we're gonna do, and it's, it's part of who we are, something that we believe in. We are not saying that the way we do it is better or the, or the right way. It's just the way that we feel God has called us to be and who we are as a community. It's a value that we hold to. And as I've been pondering this talk over the past few weeks, uh, something else has been unfolding in our culture. Uh, a powerful Hollywood producer and studio mogul named Harvey Weinstein has been exposed as a sexual predator, and this has brought up the Me Too narrative that is happening in our culture. Uh, every day, more and more women have been coming forward with evidence that he used his position of authority to harass them and abuse them. Uh, not only has he lost his studio, he's been uh, kind of barred and expelled from the academy. He uh, is also under multiple criminal investigations. And the unfortunate thing is that he's the latest in a long line of powerful politicians and celebrities who have been exposed for their misogyny, their harassment, and their abuse of women. Men that have used positions of power and authority to take advantage and manipulate things to their own good. And in response to this latest scandal, the Me Too movement has gone viral on social media. It's a campaign where uh, women have, uh, who have been victims of sexual harassment and violence are encouraged to post Me Too on their statuses on Facebook and social media, Instagram, Twitter, and things like that. Not even with any other explanation, but just to say Me Too. And the hope is to let others who are living with the pain and assault uh, to know that they're not alone and that it wasn't their fault. To take back some of their power by not living in the pain and giving it power in, in the secret. 
and uh, to not carry around a sense of shame and self-blame for what happened to them. And it's been heartbreaking to see because as a pastor of a community, I have seen multiple members of, multiple female members of our community post Me Too on their statuses who have put up their hand and said, I'm a part of that group, people from our community. Kaylee, who is one of our artists, you'll often see her painting here on Sunday mornings. She created this, this painting. This is dramatic. This is powerful. This is uncomfortable. She painted this as a symbol to represent, uh, in her words, uh, to represent women who are unable or afraid to speak about sexual violence. And you'll see the, the dramatic chaos and, 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 and tension and everything happening and the, the mouth, the breaststrokes covering over her voice and her ability to be heard. And dozens of ladies in our community, our volunteers, our leaders, our friends, our sisters, our wives, our daughters have posted Me Too, dozens of them. My wife posted Me Too this past week. And so many of even our ladies here carry the scars of identifying with a group that says, that's me. I was abused as a child. I was harassed at work. I was the victim of a sexual assault by someone I trusted. I am a part of that group. And the Me Too narrative is bringing an ugly reality to the forefront of public discourse. Here in Canada, the Gomeshi scandal revealed a corporate culture at CBC here in our own country that was more willing to preserve ratings and shield a star than it was to give a voice to the women and do investigations and said, tried to silence and tried to do this. They tried to cover up the voice and, and kind of shove it under the carpet and make it go away instead of deal with it at the forefront. The National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls is going across Canada right now. And it's a blight on our country, it's a blight on our culture. And somehow these things happen and we kind of hear about them and they don't grab our heart and we dismiss them. There's a In the Salmon Arm area right now, there are multitudes of RCMP officers with excavators digging up a farm because they found human remains because in the last year, three women went missing locally in a city not far from us. And yes, these are extreme examples. The, the highway of tears outside of Prince George and all these things, I know these are extreme examples and they're uncomfortable. It makes us feel uncomfortable. But it is the reality of the culture that we live in. There is something amiss. There is something askew. There is something out of balance. There's an underbelly that's not good. Um, this year, we're just into midterms in the university semester. And there have been multiple rapes that take place at UBC and Okanagan College. Within the first two days at UBC this year, counselors were seeing victims of sexual violence. University campuses are statistically the most dangerous place for a female to be in North America. 
Think about that. You can see how this talk over three services today, especially tonight, is gonna connect with some people. My oldest daughter is beginning to talk about what university she's gonna go in. We have a brochure for the University of Victoria in our car right now. And in a few years, she's gonna be off to university and navigating her way in the waters of young adulthood with a generation of men who've been raised on pornography and Snapchat on their iPhones. And I'm scared for her. Post-secondary campuses in Canada and the US are in full crisis mode. They cannot get enough counselors to deal with the fallout of what is called a rape culture that goes without challenge. And there have been recent cases in Canada with some of our universities where rape culture and entire classes have been offenders. And not only are our campuses in crisis, but our culture is in crisis. And I told you this is gonna be a little bit of a heavy talk. This is not an easy talk, but this is the cultural narrative that we are in right now. And all of this has me pondering, what does it mean to be a safe church in a Me Too culture? And are there some practical ways that we as a community, we as, as the house, we as people who follow Jesus, are there some practical ways that we can be a safe church and a safe community in a Me Too culture? And so I've been thinking a lot about this. It's, it's quite, a, quite a monster topic to think about. It's a heavy topic. And uh, I know that some of you needed to come to church today to all just be like really built up and encouraged. And actually, I hope that you are. I hope that, that we, we get there. But um, I think it's just important for us to talk about some of these things. And um, I think one of the first things that we can do, one of the things we can do as a practical way to be a safe place is to protect our ladies. You know, from time to time, we've had to take steps to protect our culture as a safe place where women can come and not be harassed. And again, I'm sure you can appreciate this, especially in light of our Sunday night community where we, we see this kind of happen a little bit more. But we know that um, it can happen anywhere and uh, we're a public place and people come from all over and we don't know who they are. We don't control everybody. And at the same time, we have to shape our culture and, and uh, find a place that people can, can come and worship and be safe and feel safe. And uh, a few years ago, we had a, a group home in town who was bringing some of their clients to our Sunday night service. That's a good thing. We wanna be a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible, where people are welcome to come and grow and find community and get better and move forward in life, encourage people. That's part of who we are. It's what we wanna do. If we don't have room for that and people that are on the margins, then we're missing it. So we have to make room for people and, and encourage them and, and let them find community. But we found out that uh, there were some things going on that we had to deal with because some of the guys that were coming out were, uh, they were being creepy. They were being creepy with the girls. And they were ignoring the clear social signs that their affections were not being reciprocated and were not being welcomed. And they kept advancing and they kept doing. And um, we had them here for about a month. And in that time, we found out that there were some girls that were no longer coming because every time they were coming, these guys were here and we had a problem because we want to be a welcoming community. 
we want to make room for people. We want to have people who are in the margins and people who need help to be a part of our community. It's why we are the church. But at the same time, we have to be a safe place and we don't want to lose people on the other side. And it was a hard decision, but we had to meet with the leaders. We had to talk with the leaders of the group home. We had some conversations. They said they're going to work on it. But within a couple weeks, things didn't get better, and we had to meet with them again. And in the end, um, the guys don't come on Sunday night anymore. They're not welcome. Not because they came from a group home, but because they were creepy with our girls, and they made our church lose its feel of being a safe place. And that value is a value that informs how we do things here. And as a leader, that's never fun. It's never a good thing. It's never an easy thing to look at somebody and say, well, we tried it, we extended some grace, but we need to make some changes here. Or we have to protect our ladies. And if it means having a tough conversation with someone, not only are we ready to do it, but we've done it before and we'll do it again. And a significant part of the Me Too narrative is this right here. It's that women are not heard. Women are not believed. Their stories are not valid. Their stories are not important. And it's dismissed and pushed aside and it's silenced. So if something is brought to our attention even in our community, we will deal with it. Um, Ladies, never be duped by the duty of Christian compassion. Uh, You know, one of, of, uh, if if, if as ladies you're like my wife, you have a wonderful gift, a spiritual gift of intuitive repulsion. Like my wife is so able way before I am, to have red flags go off about somebody and a feeling that something's not right, that's not a safe person, you need to be careful. And it's not a, even a, a male-specific thing. It's just males, females. My wife can tell when something's not quite lining up. And I think that um, as I've discussed things and, and met with ladies, that this seems to be a gift that you're a little bit more in tune with. And uh, you can tell. And as a pastor of the church, okay, ladies, as your pastor, uh, I want to tell you that you're never obligated to have a relationship with someone who raises red flags or you don't feel safe with. It doesn't matter if he's new here and doesn't know anyone yet or just needs a ride home after church because his car is broken down and is in the shop and, you know, whatever reasons and whatever. If you're ever made to feel uncomfortable, you're not obligated. You can find Ryan or myself or another leader and um, let us know. And at the very minimum, don't feel pressure to put yourself in a potentially compromising or a difficult situation because you want to be helpful and you want to be nice. And I think that's good practice, not just here, but anywhere. And guys, guys who are part of our community, can you please be a big brother and be a dad around here? Can you help run interference if you ever see anything and you ever kind of aren't sure of yourself? 
and just kind of help us out. And let's foster this community, uh, this kind of a safe place community. Another thing that we can do besides just, I think, actively protect our, our ladies is to provide equality empowerment of women. I'm so encouraged to hear Willow Creek's church uh, in, in, the, in the U.S. in Chicago. Bill Hybels, who's the church founder, pastor of that church for 42 years. They have over 25,000 people a week, part of their church community. It's awesome. It's a great church, lots of great leadership and teachings, blessed multiple churches. And um, after 42 years, their founding pastor, Bill Hybels, is retiring. And last week, Willow Creek announced the new pastor, and it's 42-year-old Heather Larson, a mother of two who is a tremendously gifted and sharp leader. And she will be at the helm and the forefront in providing lead pastor roles and leadership for one of the most significant churches in our world today. And I think that is courageous. I think it's courageous as an organization. I think it's courageous for her. And I think it speaks volumes. Uh, the House is a part of the POC, which is a fully egalitarian organization. And in, 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 our, in our church structure, women can hold full ministerial credentials. They can serve at the highest levels. They can be lead pastors. They, there's no limitation on how women can be and, and serve in leadership and in ministry. And I'm proud to serve alongside some incredibly gifted and strong female leaders in our church, and we are better for it. We have, uh, on Wednesday night, Betty, with the help of David, is leading Alpha, and they're doing an amazing job. We have other Alpha leaders who are females. We have people, females, who are involved in every fabric and every core of our church, leading worship today. Uh, Cheryl preached a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm so thrilled to have women a part of our leadership and helping us be better. And as our church grows and matures and comes into its own, we will have women and do better at having women at every area of our church. And when we have the budget and um, when our generosity grows and we can have another team member, I would, I would love to have a female pastor on our team to teach, to give leadership, to help us be better, to take care of our people, uh, to bring gifts, I, I think it would be amazing. And I, I would love to see that happen. And um, if you didn't do the offering, you can do that on the end. Uh, uh, but um, we're not perfect. And the world is still functioning in many levels as an old boys club, and we try for equality, and we get it in places, and we don't get it in others. And um, in the church, in who we are, we're, we're not perfect either, but it's our heart and it's who we are, it's where we're going, and it's what we would believe. And so I think that's important to provide equality empowerment for women. Um, the last thing is to promote dignity. And I'm gonna call the band to come. They're gonna get ready and we're gonna get ready to close, but look at this story of the woman at the well in John 4. John 4, uh, 6, and, and it goes down. It says this. Jesus was he's walking, uh, passes through the village. He says, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. 
And the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or even a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty. This is this, this water in the well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get the water. And Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're with now. You certainly spoke the truth. The story goes on and Jesus explains who he is and this woman has a point of faith and a point of belief and receives forgiveness and she goes back to her village and she tells others about Jesus, about the man she met, about the Messiah, the, the, the son of God who knows all things. And he, she told, come and meet him and, 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 and the villagers come and they, and they find Jesus and they come to faith and it's a, it's a really cool story. And um, there are two primary ways to look at this scripture. One is to view the woman as the offender. The belief is that when Jesus says you have had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not your husband, the belief is that she was an adulteress. She was the offender. She was guilty. She's a sinner. Some scholars note that women would go to the well as a group all together in the morning. And this woman went to the well at noon in the hot sun on her own. And there had to be something in her life that caused her to push her out of the community. And the scholars point to the fact that Jesus exposes her as an adulteress. And she wasn't welcome with the other ladies. She wasn't welcome, the ones that already had husbands. And she maybe was, uh, you know, had... You know how we get all these issues and all these things, and so she wasn't really, and so she had to go on her own. She had done something to ostracize herself from the community. Well, the other belief is that she was not the offender, but she was actually the victim. There's another way to read the story. It's based on the likelihood that how was she a widow five times over? How is it that five husbands died? Taking into account the cultural laws that women could not initiate divorce, but men could divorce for any reason they wanted, it actually seems more likely that this woman was used and abused and victimized and kicked to the curb five times by the man that was supposed to honor her and protect her 
and provide for her. And in this culture, if you burned the bread or you didn't bring enough water home from the well or you happen to spend all the dowry money, you could just divorce your lady and take a new wife. The problem is that the woman was left with nothing, absolutely nothing, and often had to take the children. The system was heavily favored towards men. It's why the men brought the woman caught in adultery to the temple to stone her. Last time I checked, adultery took a couple of people. Where's the men? Why aren't the men being brought to the temple to be stoned for their adultery? The system was heavily favored towards men. It was a misogynistic culture. You know, it's even possible that the man that she was with now, that Jesus says is not your husband, he, he might have even baited her. He may have even just said, you know what, I'll, I'll take care of you, I'll welcome you, I'll, I'll become your husband, I'll, I'll look after you. I'll... And maybe he just strung her along and used her as well. We don't know. The thing is, we don't know. We don't know. But as men who form our theology, we often look at it one way. But there's other valid ways to look at this. And in my own theological reading and understanding, I have, I have settled and I believe that the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well was a victim. She was pushed aside and she was discarded and she was victimized. And here's the important thing about this story. It doesn't matter if she's an offending adulteress or she's a victim of misogyny. Jesus treats her with dignity. Just as Jesus says to that woman caught in adultery, he says, you men who want to throw stones at her, you men, you who are without sin, you throw the first stone and they all dissipate and they all go away. And Jesus looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you no Lord she said and Jesus says the most beautiful words then neither do I I do not condemn you go and sin no more you see in a culture that treated women like voiceless property Jesus always treats women with dignity. Every woman that Jesus encounters in the New Testament is given a voice, is heard, and is treated with dignity. And that was so against the culture of the day. And men, we must do the same. You see, Jesus is God. He's the fullness of God. This is who he is. This is what he modeled. This is his heart. And as men and followers of Jesus, it's who he calls us to be. In our homes, in our marriages, with our children, our co-workers, our employees, our friends, everybody, our whole circle, our private and our public, 
And you know, we can't use scripture and we can't use the Christian faith as a shield to hide behind attitudes of misogyny because it is not reflective of the heart of Jesus who is God. It is not what Jesus did. Jesus always brought dignity. And part of what it means to be the church is respecting women as equals. And if you're a part of our community and you're a part of of the house and and you think, where are we going and who are we going to be? That's always going to be who we are. And so you'll have to settle, men, you'll have to settle some things in your heart because I hope that one day we will have a female on our preaching team and our leadership teams and, and, and all these other areas. And I think that's where we're going because we're going to be better for it. And um, I was thinking, like, man, how do we... I know it's a heavy talk. Okay, Try, try writing it in Starbucks. You think this is bad. Um, I read this week that the Me Too movement is still putting the onus on the women to say, I was, I, I'm, I was a victim. It was me. I, I'm part of that. And I think there's such value and freedom, and that's a good thing. But some of the pushback has been, oh, what are we asking the men to do? What's, what's their response? Is their response? Is it just to be quiet and listen? And what is the response? And I was thinking, what do we do as a community? How can we... And I thought, you know, why don't we, instead of making it about the women, why don't we make it about the men this morning and say, could we pray for you and um, ask the Lord to help you, that you would grow, that you would be a leader, that you would, you would chart the way, you would help us as a community, you would be present as Jesus in the dark world, you would be the man who Jesus would be to show dignity to women and lead the way and set the example and help create a safe place for your homes and the circles that you're a part of. Because that voice speaks powerfully in our culture right now. If there's one way that Jesus can be light in a dark place, it's in treating women as equals and by bringing dignity. And so we're going to pray for our men today. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you identify as a male this morning, why don't you stand and I'm uh, just going to pray for you as we get ready to close this morning. I do appreciate you guys listening and um, participating with us this morning. It's a hard subject. But it's a relevant subject. Jesus, as we think about our lives and think about our church and all the different circles of influence that we represent, I pray that, God, you would help us to be men who bring honor and dignity and virtue to relationships with women. Lord, that you would help us to love and honor our wives and our daughters. You'd help us to be fathers and big brothers to the ladies in our life that need them. Lord, help us to capture your heart. Forgive us when misogyny creeps in, when the locker room creeps in. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be men 
that would be different because we have Jesus in our life and we would shine for you and we would lead the way and we would be different. And Lord, help us to have a capture of your heart, which is a radical activist, speaker, healer, caregiver who lived in a hard culture and was courageous enough to bring the dignity of God to the women he encountered. And Lord, I pray that you would help our church to be a safe place. There are so many hurting, broken, scarred, discouraged people. And when they come and they're a part of us, they're a part of our lives, not just here on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week when we're with them in our workplaces and in our homes and in coffee shops, Lord, help us to be a safe place. Help our lives. Lord, I pray for the men that are standing right now that they themselves would be a safe place.